A story of the rose is a story of love. From farms to our florists, and right into the arms of sweethearts savoring a date night in. Best friends showing their galantines how much they adore them. And those giving themselves a little love. Go to ftd.com and save 15% through February 14th with code CRUSH15. And celebrate your love story with iconic roses, florals, and gifts from FTD. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest edition of the Broad Street Line. I am Roy Burton alongside me, as always, my tag team partner and the man who's going to be one of the six in the Elimination Chamber later this month in Saudi Arabia, one Chris Domingo. Mr. Domingo, how are you doing? As always during the pandemic, this fine Saturday morning, sir. Roy, you never have to worry about me overstepping my lines trying to produce this show so you don't mm. have to fire me Yes, someone was fired. Yes, I yes. always know my role. <laughs> we all have roles in, in our lives and in the various things that we do in our lives. Unfortunately, Shane McMahon did not know his role. Um, but one of our roles here on the Broadstreet Line on 106.5 FM, WPPN, LP, Philadelphia, is to give you the insight from some of the best and brightest names in the sports world, whether it be locally or nationally. Last week, we had a chance to catch up uh, with someone I used to work with. He is one of the producers over at NBC Sports Philadelphia. His name is Mike Mulhern. You've seen his work course if you watch uh, eagles pregame postgame and all sorts of good stuff um that's his main thing over at nbc sports philadelphia and he's been doing that for years one of you emmys doing that so he knows what he's talking about um he joined us last week or he joined us we interviewed him last week but he joined us recently to talk some eagles talk some jalen hurts some potential draft picks and uh nick sirianni as well as some sixers and ben simmons news and speaking of ben simmons we'll talk about ben simmons later in the show because chris has a few things he wonderful like to get off his chest he'd like Great. to get off his chest about the ben simmons but <laughs> Before we do all that, we want to bring you our interview with Mike Mulhern, producer from NBC Sports Philadelphia. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Broad Street Line. Roy Burton, Chris Domingo, and the special third man. We're going three wide right now on this segment <laughs> of the show. But our third receiver, a little bit better than Jalen Rager, better arm than Greg Ward himself. Joining a better us. Is, a better <laughs> than Jaw. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm the blocking type. If you're going to put me outside, I gotta, I'm got. a blocker. That's for sure. Uh, joining us right now, the Emmy-winning producer of many things over at NBC Sports well, Philadelphia, you. including Eagles pregame and postgame live, uh, the supremely talented Mike Mulhern. Mike, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, Mike. hey, thank you, guys. Thank you, Roy. Thank you, Chris. Much appreciated. So, so obviously, we will talk about the topic du jour as it relates to the Eagles being the quarterback. We'll get to that in a second. So, I want to ask you, as a man who, again, who watches this season more intensely or watches this season more intensely than pretty much anybody, were you disappointed by the way that the Eagles season ended this year? I mean, I really wish they had put up a fight. It would have just, like, kind of, you know, ended the season on a high note. And I was actually a bit of a proponent of – I know no one wanted to play the starters against Dallas, but I just thought there was, you know – value in seeing how your team perform against another high level opponent. Mm-hmm. Dallas played everybody. Um, you know, it's there's a chance they could have got the doors blown off anyway. And then right. you'd be like, holy cow, we really don't measure up to anybody. So there's obviously some risk there. And they wanted to be as healthy as possible going into that Tampa game. Um but yeah it was it was tough to watch them kind of just let Brady march up and down the field to start the game much like he had done in week six. And then the offense just had no answers um for what Todd Bowles was throwing at him. So yeah, a little disappointing. Uh, you know, you don't want to overreact to one game when you're looking at the big picture because yeah. um, I think they've done that in the past. Uh, you know, I think you look at 2018, they're like, hey, we were, you know, an Alshon drop away from getting back to maybe win another Super Bowl when probably wasn't the case. They were a nine-win team who, you know, won on a double doink. They needed all kinds of help <laughs> just to get into the playoffs. So, right. you know, you, you don't want to overreact. I think they have a, a fair grasp of where they are, and I think they know that the playoffs was a nice cherry on top, but they're they're not close to competing and i think if you you know have seen some of the football of late you know in these playoffs you can you can kind of see that for yourself as well right and, and speaking of that, of that football of late of course we've seen like a lot of you know big time throws as they would say by big time quarterbacks and obviously everybody wants one of those big time guys um I, you know the jury of course still out on jalen hurts but let me just ask you do you think jalen hurts has done enough to earn the starting job next year for the eagles i think they are Definitely still taking the wait-and-see approach, despite what Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni have said. He knows where he stands. I think they're fine if that's how it ends up, but I think they are only as loyal as their options. Like, if <laughs> if someone 
you know, if Russell Wilson is open to playing in Philly, I think it's a done deal. I equate it similarly to like Damian Lillard, you know, another superstar from the Pacific Northwest. If he wanted to be in Philly, I think he'd be here already. I don't think he wants to. I think that's probably the case with Russ going forward. He's, you know, got his eyes on some bigger markets. But if he says, you know, hey, I, I like Devontae Smith. I like Dallas. I can go play behind that offensive line. You know, right. that team's in a weak division. I can, you know, get to the playoffs every year. I don't have to face, you know, the Niners, the Rams, um, and and the Cardinals. You got three playoff teams in that division. So, he's, yeah. you know, you know, you're looking at easy wins here in the NFC East if he were to decide. So, I, I am a fan of Jalen Hurts, but I think they know, the front office knows there are better options uh, out there. Whether they can get their hands on one, you know, is is the real question. Now, Mike, it, you have, like, in this world that we're living in, you have a beeline. You have the ear of Howie Roseman. What is your, what is your advice to him go for this offseason? Because I think, I think, We'd all agree that said Jalen Hurts has done enough to warrant, I don't know, like starting as QB1 next year. Sure. I think a lot of that has to do with the circumstances around them where a lackluster quarterback class coming out this year. Um, Deshaun Watson, just Deshaun Watson, like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Deshaun Watson, like, I don't know, situation. Exactly. And just like I don't know. Like I don't know. What are What is your advice to Howie to how to handle – the quarterback position this offseason? I think, you know, I, I'm, I think, and this is what I think they may do too, is kind of keep your ammo going forward as best you can. So you have the three first round picks this year, but if the options don't match up with, you know, your resources, do the best job you can to kick those resources down the road a little bit. So when, when the opportunity does present itself, whether that's, you know, next year's draft class with, you know, CJ Stroud, perhaps, you know, right. and you have multiple picks that year, if you're able to, you know, push one of those trade down this year, I think you, you just always want to keep your options open. I know that was the same hanky thing optionality. Um, I, I just think that's their best bet. I, and I think they are certainly not married to Hertz. I do think he's proven himself to be a starting caliber quarterback. And I think if you were able to, you know, have the perfect situation around him, he could, you know, he could do the same job as a Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, like, I don't think that's out of the question, but the Niners also have an elite play caller and elite weapons around him. They got blue right. chippers on both sides of the ball. So I know a lot of people will say, well, look at San Francisco. You can build that way. I ask you, like, what's harder to do? Find the quarterback or find, like, eight blue chip studs <laughs> that are, like, difference makers? Like, especially when you look at this general manager and his track record picking high in drafts, it's, it hasn't been great. So you're assuming they're going to be able to do that. I think that's a far harder path to take than, you know, just find the quarterback and figure everything else out. Yeah, so no, I think that, but, oh, sorry, Warren. I think that's I think that's where people want to compare Jalen Hurts to Josh Allen or compare sure. the 49ers to the Eagles. It's like the 49ers have six all pro potential players. Not exactly. pro ball, all pro. So I, I and like you said, I don't know what is what is what what is the path that you would rather travel in team building and i think that's what's great about the nfl is there's no one way to skin a cat but each way to skin a cat's really hard exactly yeah and i mean you look at san fran it's not like they haven't you know it's not like their decision makers decided like hey we don't care about the quarterback position they traded three first round picks for trey lance they traded a second round pick for garoppolo and they paid him so like they know how important the position is they just haven't maybe gotten the returns that they'd hoped for so far um so yeah i i I know this quarterback class isn't, you know, one that most people find very attractive, but I also think they should, like, you can't just write it off. You should still do your due diligence. And I know it would, like, create a firestorm if they were to draft a quarterback, but the fact that you have three, uh, I mean, they weren't shy about using a second rounder on Hertz a year after they had just paid Wentz and really committed to him. So if there's a guy they like, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them to pull the trigger. I mean, the quarterback factory is still up and running. You know, you, <laughs> you got to produce something. Just keep coming, keep pumping them out. Well, speaking of the quarterback factory, I guess the the head, or I guess like the the manager of the quarterback factory, Brian Johnson's got some work to do uh, with Jalen Hurts this offseason. So let me let me put you in Brian Johnson's shoes. What's the one thing? What's the main thing that Jalen Hurts needs to work on this offseason? I think it's processing, and you kind of saw the clip. Um, from inside the NFL where you, the 
some of the Bucks coaches were my, or you know, they have the, the boom mics on the sideline. You can hear he can't read, he can't read. Right. You know, um, so I, I think when he got unsure of himself, that's when he flees the pocket early. That's when he's, you know, seeing color in his face and running away when he doesn't have to, um, not staying focused downfield. So I, I think it's more film room than, you know, on-field stuff. I, I I know some people look at his mechanics. I don't have a major problem with how he throws. Um, I just think if he trusts what he's seeing, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Um, and then obviously accuracy. I mean, you look at what Josh Allen did from year one, he's 52%. Then, you know, two years ago, he's 70%. This year, he kind of came back down to like 64, 65. So, I mean, there's always improvements to be made. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of it comes off of the recognition of what you're seeing. And when you trust what you're seeing, then you're willing to, you know, let the ball go. And some throws that we view as maybe inaccurate, if he processed it quicker, you know, the ball gets there quicker, the defender gets there later, and it's not as inaccurate, you know. Um, so it's it's kind of a, a bit of a two-way street there. But I think the the most important part is kind of the, the film study and recognizing what's coming. Mm-hmm. Boy, I'm just glad we got to ask some of these questions that we ask each other like every week. <laughs> no, I, no, I think no, no. Mike has it. Like I don't know. Like I think, I think Mike, you nailed it. I think he has to trust. I don't think he has a lot of internal confidence. Like I feel he gives off a lot of confidence to his teammate, but I think internally, I don't think he has confidence in in his, I guess, passing ability. Because like I like I, I think, I mean, we can. I, I feel there was this need to kind of like Monday morning quarterback every Jalen Hurts throw, sure. but I, I mean, like there are times where like I, I mean, like some of these some of these reads are just like I don't know, just let it rip. And yeah. I, I think it's one of those where he's very averse to turnovers. And I think when you're too averse to turnovers, you turn the ball over. Like I think it's just just I would just like to see Jalen Hurts like just 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 be more confident. Like, I don't know, like, if yeah. if this is your first first or second read, let it rip. Like, I, and I think, like, like you said previously, it's like, just because if you trust your read, you're getting the ball out quicker. I think that's one of those things where he's he's thinking too much. He's like, oh, snap. Let me just throw it to Dallas Goddard now. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that is, you know, you're starting as an 18-year-old for Nick Saban. Right. That's just drilled into you from the jump. Like, hey, we have yeah. the best team in the country. Do not turn the ball over. Right. Do what we call, do what we say, and then it's on us, not you. So I wonder if that maybe is a little too ingrained in him. You know, um, he obviously had some turnover problems as a rookie in those four games he started, but, you know, really cleaned that up this year. But I do think maybe he is a, a little too safe. Um, and I'm totally with you, Chris. Just let it rip. You know, I, I'd love to see him play a little more free and easy. And I also wonder, and I've I've asked this to, you know, some people, like how much – uh, leeway does he get at the line of scrimmage to change right. stuff? Because you look at that Tampa game, you know, they're walking up and we're doing getting ready to do post game and we're watching the game together. And Seth Joyner, who is the biggest proponent of run the ball, <laughs> run the ball, run the ball, is like, you cannot run the ball when they have eight guys at the line of scrimmage. And they just kept trying and they just kept failing. And I don't know if he has any autonomy to say, we got to get out of this. Like, I, I, it doesn't seem like he does. Yeah. You so that's that's kill, concerning. You don't get a lot of kill kills. This no year. kill kill. Yeah. Of, no, like, <laughs> no, but I think like next year, let's get some more kill kills. And I, I think I think me and Rory have talked talked about this on on other shows. I feel like we might have overestimated Hertz's ready readiness coming out of college, coming from an Alabama, mm-hmm. coming from an Oklahoma. Like I know, like he's almost like I don't know. You're starting from. You were starting from. I think a little further down to the ground than you thought you would. So, I mean, let's factor all that in and say he has another year. He has, he has a, he has an off season with, with the same, with the same system, which he hasn't sure. had since like forever. Like yeah. you, you get another wide receiver. I don't know what type of wide receiver you get because I don't know how good he is throwing outside. Like you get him like a vet, like a safety valve, like a good slot guy that like, just like gets open. And like, like, I think I always felt that if you build it, they will come. So mm-hmm. if, if you build a, a solid team, improve on this offense, like, and then, just, and obviously we, we got to ask you about this defense because this defense is not good. And I don't know, like, I don't know if you're one of the uh, members of the Jonathan Gannon hate 
Because I feel like everyone, like, I, I, I feel like I'm on an island where, like, people are like, get the guy fired. I'm like, all right, he's getting head coaching positions. Do you think yeah. Do you, like, like, do you think Philly fans know more than like NFL people? <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm probably in the Jonathan Gannon indifference club. At Thank that you. Bit. Thank I you. I think he's a little. I, I think it's crazy though, because Lurie last year when they hired Sirianni talked how much that you know everybody said you got to talk to Jonathan Gannon. You know, all these candidates they talked to said they wanted to hire Gannon. Right. Um, so I don't know if he's just, you know, a great interviewer. I don't know what he, the results <laughs> on the field necessarily don't equate to, you know, hey, one year wonderkin, let's jump him into the head coaching ranks. And I really think it kind of has something to do with, you know, uh, a lot of people joked about, you know, oh, this guy, uh, he shook hands with Sean McVay once. Let's get make him a head coach. <laughs> like, I feel like that's what's happened now with Brandon Staley. And like right. he's the, the king of analytics now. Um, they're boyhood friends, the two of them. They've known each other forever. And he kind of, you know, models his defense the same way. Like, we're going to bend but don't break, although they, they broke quite often. They broke, they broke a little was, bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I feel like these these front office types are so analytically driven now that they're like, I want the guy who sounds the smartest who right. may seem to have all the answers. But, I mean, if the results don't bear it out, then what do you really have? And, I mean, one year as a defensive coordinator, you know, a bottom – third of the league defense i don't know that that right you know something that i'm like ah, i can't wait to get this guy you know in charge of all 53 exactly exactly again we're talking to mike Mahern, producer for NBC sports philadelphia uh mike you're a big draft guy you always have a lot of holes i think you yeah. you already wrote a draft draft preview piece i think already this year maybe? i've done a couple yeah. mocks already okay yeah so, let's, so when let's... they were uh when they were sitting <laughs> two and five we're like all right the season's going down real quick let's start so, turning out these mock drafts so if you got you've already got your eyes on a couple guys so what what i guess position wise what what kind of guys would you um or you can you even put some names out there there's certain yeah. guys you know maybe in the middle of the first round that you have your eye on for this team it's hard to know exactly like who's going where because you look at one mock draft from like a Mel Kuyper or a big board, and then you look at you know Dane Brewer from the Athletic. There's so much disparity between who they like right. this early. Um, but I feel like a David Ajabo from Michigan, a defensive end who's just like raw but pure pass rush skills, feels like the kind of guy that should absolutely be on their radar. I mean, you look at, you know, they were not Derek Barnett. He's not yeah, Derek Barnett. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> so we say he should definitely draft. <laughs> second, uh, they were second to last in the league in sacks. So, I mean, they need pass rush. That's obvious. Right. Barnett's probably gone. Brandon Graham's 33 coming off an Achilles. You know, Josh Swetcher only real threat as a pass rusher. So yeah. you need someone to pair with him. And I think, you know, you can't go wrong going past rush. I also really like Trayvon Walker from Georgia. He's, you know, a bit sturdier, a bit more polished, but mm -hmm. probably less explosive. But I mean, you watch, you know, some of the tape on him, some of the plays, even if you just search Twitter, you know, he's, they got a pulling guard coming around and he just destroys the guy. Like he's just <laughs> very strong, um, very powerful. So I think D end is certainly a, a, a position to look at. Yeah. Um, and then I, I also don't hate the idea of another receiver. I feel like you can never have a, enough weapons, and especially if Drake London from USC is there, 6'4". He was you know, leading the country in receiving before he got hurt. Just a, a big play guy. I know people are probably a little wary of taking a receiver from the Pac-12. Hasn't worked out very well for the Birds so far. <laughs> no, I, oh, no. Like, uh, Mike, do you think that like going receiver in the draft or going through free agency? I think, like, I think it's one of those – like. Yeah, I, I mean, with with the Brandon Buck's retirement, you actually have some room to to do some stuff, and and I I don't know, like where like obviously the position are are the needs like I don't know everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's just how do you address them? Like like do you have a preference on how do you, how to use free agency? Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind you know obviously adding a veteran to the room, but I also don't want like a guy who's looking at his third contract. If you know Allen Robinson has already hit free agency once, he's I think twenty eight, twenty nine, pushing thirty. Like uh, that kind of guy doesn't really interest me. But if you got a guy coming off his rookie deal like a DJ Chark, I mean, who's he's been a Pro Bowler already in his career, has big play potential, is a big body, um, would pair nicely with Devontae Smith. I would go that route. But again, I don't. I'm not trying to overpay in free agency because right, right. I think this team is not quite as close to contention as a playoff season might indicate. Um, so I'm looking, you know, you mentioned Brandon Brooks. He was a guy who was, you know, a third round pick. 
coming off his rookie deal. They saw some value there. This is a guy that we think could be a high end starter, maybe even a pro bowl player. Um, like those are the kind of guys I would target. I'm not, you know, going totally to the top of the market. You know, you can cross Devontae Adams off the list. Also, I can't imagine <laughs> he wants to come play in this offense, right? Um, you know, where they're running the ball more than half the time. So, so again, it sounds like you, you know, you're, you're okay with kind of that, that I'll, I'll call it second level wide receiver guy. Um, but again, are you willing to pay a DJ chart, you know, $12 million or would you rather address that in the draft where you have again, you know, a pretty abundant stash of draft picks this year and, you know, and a high pick next year. Um, I mean, again, again, is there, is there a certain, I mean, cause Chris and I talk about this a lot and we would like a veteran receiver just to kind of teach these yeah. guys in the room, you know, just how to be professionals and, and yeah. run routes and things like that. But again, I don't know if I want to pay a professional $13 million a year, given exactly. that you have, you know, holes all over the team. So. Yeah, and the way they, you know, just generally build rosters, they don't, you know, shell out for receiver. Um, but, yeah, you, you know, if you're looking at the free agent market, I mean, Mike Williams has experience with Shane Steichen, with Sirianni in San Diego, um, right. and then L.A. Um, in Steichen's case. So, you know, another guy who would pair perfectly, another big body. But, again, are you are you signing this guy to help Jalen Hurts, or are you signing this guy to help, for your next quarterback so it's yeah it's, it's an interesting question you know That's a good point like you want to you want to maximize what you can get out of hurts but you know the the way the offense ran last year is spending 12 million dollars on a receiver your best bet when you're not throwing the ball to begin with and you're not right. giving the ball to the 10th overall pick who caught like 120 passes in his last year at alabama um, Dad, you know, you, I, I'm having doubts about my uh, about my football acumen by hearing Mike talk. No, <laughs> like because I oh no, and I always feel like re like the distribution of resources is. Do you want to spend 15 million dollars on a WR two? I, I don't think that's a yeah, prudent way not. to spend. Like and and now you see a team like the Bengals that have all young receivers. Maybe maybe that works. Like I I think people always go back to the to the lions of the Mike Williams, the Roy mm -hmm. Williams and Charles Rogers there. It's like, no, like you can actually draft three, two or three good. That are good. Yeah. Are <laughs> um, no, I think like, no, it's a really, and I think this is where the Eagles are in a decent shot. Like, like you said, I don't think they're not looking at Super Bowl next year. I, I, no. I hate to break people's bubbles, but I mean, you have options on how to use your cap draft capital, whether you want to punt on a, like, like, punt a first round pick to 23 or like draft a defensive end or draft a, dare I say a linebacker. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, I know that's uh that's something everybody's got their eye on and you know, the, the fit and the studs at that position kind of line up with exactly where they'll be picking, right. You know, Devin Lloyd and the Kobe Dean, there's two guys that are, you know, high end talents that, you know, you would think could plug right in and, and, it's also interesting if Gannon is back or if he's not back, does the scheme stay the same? Because if the scheme stays the same, they probably should put a little more of an emphasis on the linebacker position because um, they're playing a ton of zone. They're letting guys catch. They're reading and reacting and you right. know, running to the ball. You want to have some guys who can make some plays in the open field, can cover some ground uh, a little more quickly than a, than a TJ Edwards could, you know, guy played right. very well, you know, as a starter this year, but, you know, not a lot of impact plays coming out of him. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I, I think everything's on the table. I really think um, they will put a, a premium on trying to acquire future draft assets unless they're able to, you know, find a quarterback that they like in this class or find one via trade. Because um, I just think that's, you know, as much as, again, they said they are behind Jalen Hurts, they also talked about having an elite offense. They've talked about that many times. And I think in their heart of hearts, they know it's going to be hard to do that with Hertz as, as the guy, as you know, with his current skill set. So again, part of an elite offense is, you know, pretty decent running back more times, you know, than not. Sure. Please tell me what your thoughts are about Miles Sanders. Cause I kind of go back and forth with Miles Sanders. I think <laughs> he's a good running back. I just don't think he's going to be a good running back here. I just, just don't yeah. think it's a good fit. Am I seeing? Am I seeing things wrong? Like, what am I? Or what am I not seeing with Miles Sanders? He he's a good player. I've I've always had issues with the durability, and I feel right. like he can't be a bell cow guy. I love him on a rookie deal. I don't want to pay him a second deal. And right. I, you know, we just talk about allocation of resources. 
I mean, I've always been of a mindset that I would pretty much spend like a mid round pick on a running back every year, every other year. Oh my god, cycle throw. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean like this. No, please go on because I need to hear someone other than myself scream about. It. Yeah, like there's, I would, I don't know that there's a running back that I would pay a second contract to. You look at the guys who have gotten them: Ezekiel Elliott off a cliff, Christian McCaffrey, still extremely talented, but has been hurt, you know, with major injuries the last right. couple of years. It's just, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. It's gonna happen. Why are you ignoring it? Um, and I think they really like Miles. Um, I think they wish he could stay healthy. And I mm-hmm. think they, I also think they like the idea of taking care of their own a little more. You know, we saw that after Chip got let go, how he's like first order of business was given deals to like Vinnie Curry, Brandon Graham, right. Fletcher Cox, all the guys that, you know, he viewed as the next court, how he just did that with the 2018 class. Now we're getting into 2019 and Sanders is kind of the, the last one. The standing. Only, he, yeah. He's the only guy. <laughs> and I think how he's probably, you know, he, he senses how much people, you know, trash his picks. So he's like, Hey, I want to, you know, right. give a second contract to this guy. So I hope they don't do it for that reason. Yeah. Um, you know, if you think he could be a, a, you know, a focal point of your offense, I just don't know that he, he can carry the ball that many times and stay healthy. He's, he's a great home run hitter, but right. um, you know, the running game was just fine when he was not a part of it for, you know, large portions of the season. Yeah, like, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, like he's a great home run hitter, like doesn't, but doesn't make the three to four yard runs when you need them. And, you know, Boston Scott does it better, but Boston Scott's not going to carry the ball 20 times a game. So you got, you have to figure something out. But you're right. Like when he wasn't there, they found a way to make it happen. Can you find a way to make it happen with someone who's not Jordan Howard, you know, exactly. Sanders is hurt, you know, next year. I do think Sanders, uh, I think when he came back, he did show a little more propensity to kind of take what was there. So that was good to see. I feel like he changed a little bit wasn't trying to bounce everything kind of trusted that, you know, if we just stay on schedule, if I can get three, four yards, um, you know, I'm going to stay on the field. I'm going to get the ball and eventually I'll, I'll hopefully have a chance to break one. Um, so hopefully he's, he's kind of learned there and that can carry over going forward. One last question before you put a bow on this Eagles sure. talk, just in general, what, what are you sold on Nick Sirianni? I know he had a rough start to the year. You know, people wanted to run him out of town after that Raiders game, but you know, they rebounded, they made the, made the playoffs. Um, you know, what, what, what's your opinion of Sirianni after year one? I think he was a, a great breath of fresh air. I think they've gotten a little stale at the end of Doug. Um, I think the messaging probably got a little stale. So it was nice to kind of have that crazy level of energy and enthusiasm, uh, you know, into the Novacare complex. And I think he's, you know, I think the guys like him. I don't think that's a question. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of people clown on him for the pandering, but I think <laughs> the players are behind it. Um, I think the players like the messaging. I think schematically, I feel like they're like even if you go back and watch some of that that game against the Bucks, like guys were open, and I think some of that was stuff he was scheming. And you know, obviously Stoutland gets a lot of credit for the success of the run game, but right. you know, he was the one who made the decision. You know, he's the one in charge. Hey, we gotta we gotta change how we're operating here. So uh, I'd give him a solid B plus for year one. I feel good about him. I'm not of a mind that he's like, you know, the next Andy Reid or even the next Doug Peterson. I just think he's, he's a good coach. Um, I think he got the most out of what he had, which is obviously, you know, all you can ask for. I don't know that he's going to, you know, be able to to take a team to, to the mountaintop though. I mean, I think that's still certainly yet to be seen, but I, obviously it's hard not to like what you saw in year one. We're joined by, yeah. we're joined now. Oh, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, no, I feel like Sirianni's very Brett Brownish. Like, where, like, I don't, like, I, I feel like he's, like, I don't know, got a, a sound message. Like, like he's not one of these, like, I don't know, like, I don't think he's very charismatic, but I think he's charismatic enough to, to lead a, lead a locker room of 53 guys. So, and I think it's, like you said, Mike, it's hard to judge this, the ability to this guy's, ability to scheme an offense when I'm not sure the quarterback can get the ball to these guys that he's scheming open. Yeah. And I would, I would love to know like how he feels going forward. Like, is he yeah, like, does he, like, want, does he, he want to run Jalen this Hurts, offense? Not, yeah. Yeah. Does he want Jalen, like his fate in jail hurts his hands? Cause really that's, that's what I think the decision is going to be next year is like, I don't know, like, is this the guy like, and I, I feel serious. I going to have a lot of input on this to say, I, I can't have this guy like determined by fate as an NFL coach. 
Yeah. And it's interesting because I always thought when they hired Doug, that was kind of a, we know we want a quarterback. This is the year we're going to try and find the franchise quarterback. We want to put the most quarterback friendly staff in place to kind of groom that guy. And I almost feel like the Sirianni hire was kind of like, we kind of need someone who's going to take some bullets for us a little bit. (laughs) Uh, As we transition, he'll get the most out of the young guys. He'll keep things fresh. Guys will like it. But I don't know that they hired him with the mindset that, like, this is the guy that's going to lead us to our next title. Um, I think it's more of a phase, like, hey, we think this guy can. And I kind of think that's what happened when the Sixers hired Brett Brown. They were like, hey, you know, come in. You know, you're gonna you're gonna have great Take messages these for these young guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm never gonna talk to the media. You're gonna do all of it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, Brett obviously got into the playoffs fairly quickly after you know taking plenty of bullets over through the yeah. three and a half years of the process. And then um obviously for Sirianni though, to get there in year one, um, I mean, I have to think their expectations maybe have changed a little bit. Um, but it would have been nice to see that team a little more prepared going into Tampa in a playoff game against an opponent they had already played, especially when they punted on week 18, you figure they're using that time to really gear up to face right. the Bucks, And it seemed like they were almost, you know, surprised by what Tampa was doing when they came out doing pretty much the same stuff they did uh, the first time they faced them. Talking with Mike Mulhern, producer over at NBC Sports Philadelphia. You can follow him on Twitter at Mikey Malls. Thank you, by the way, Mike, for, for joining into the Twitter discussion more recently. I know the last couple of years you've kind of joined into the, you know, with all the, the Drek and, you know, despair that we kind of <laughs> tweet out there every week. So I appreciate you yeah. joining the mix Anytime. on that. Um, so let's, and let, there's let's, nothing uh, more, and there's nothing <laughs> more despair than discussing Ben Simmons or Simmons <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so, so, so we got to talk, we got to talk some Ben Simmons with you since we, since we have you sure. on again, because, because again, you kind of jump in the mix as well with that. Um, look, there's been all sorts of reports about Ben Simmons and where he wants to go and what can come back for him and what the Sixers want as far as the top 25 pick or top 20, 25 player, 30 player, whatever. A lot of us are just exhausted at this point, and I don't know yeah. if you're exhausted at this point. So let me just ask you, are you of the mind that you need a top 25, top 30 guy in return for Ben Simmons right now, or do you just want to get something done by the deadline? I, I'm More and more, I feel like things are playing out in Maury's favor, that kind of the yeah. – the players that he had probably on that list, a lot of them, things are not going well in their current situations. Um, like a Dame Lillard, like a Bradley Beal. Um, so I, I don't hate the idea of holding out for the superstar. And it's really interesting, you know, the better and B plays, does it make it more incumbent upon him to get something done to help him now? But like, right. if you swap Simmons for a CJ McCollum, you know, that's, that's kind of it. You know, you're stuck with McCollum, you're stuck with Tobias and you don't have a lot of future flexibility, but it really helps maximize what you can do this year. Um, and the East is pretty wide open. You know, you got KD hurt. You got Kyrie only playing half the games. Obviously, the Bucks should still be, you know, a major problem come, you know, April and May when everybody's, you know, together and they've gelled and, you know, they're just kind of running pick and rolls with Middleton and Giannis again and just right. killing people like they did to the Suns of the finals. Um, <laughs> so I, I – I am more inclined to wait for the big fish than to just get something done. But I feel like there's enough of a middle ground there that you can make a move that improves your team, that rids you of Simmons, but still keeps you in play for a Harden or a Beal or a Lillard this summer. Uh, Obviously with Harden kind of being the the biggest fish among them, especially in Daryl Morey's eyes. So I think, you know, I I know people have thrown like DeMontis Sabonis out there or like a Halliburton pieces that you know still have a lot of value that you know you should be able to move going forward and i guess it all depends like what the nets want but how how are you possibly getting that answer now like they're your competition they're trying to win a title this year like i don't even know how that's even feasible to know what they would want obviously simmons in theory has more value than the guys i just mentioned but Mm -hmm. um it's really hard to know and it'd be a shame to waste what Embiid is doing right now I think he does end up winning the MVP should he stay healthy. Um, but it's interesting how much more he talks about the percentages and where we have a 5% chance. I think that number is probably a little high um, to win the title right now. And, you know, there aren't many pieces available at this time that, that move that number enough. Right. Um, I, 
I don't know that that's true. I feel like that, you know, there's enough tinkering to be done that they could improve now and still stay in play in the summer. So, so you are, let me just get you on record. You are willing to quote unquote sacrifice the season. If I, I can, am. if, if I can give you the guarantee that James Harden comes to Philadelphia this summer. With the guarantee. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I'm a hundred percent in to wait it out okay. um, because I just don't know. Like even, you know, you look on paper where they'd be with, let's just say it was McConnell. Like I said, are they still, you know, are they legit title contenders, let alone what they could do in the future? Um, they've been beating up on a lot of bad teams with, thanks to these B performances. Obviously, they've been shorthanded. No Seth Curry a lot. No Danny Green a lot. Thibault's just coming back. So they've been, right. you know, without a lot of key pieces. Uh, but they do have enough depth to, to kind of make up for it in the interim. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say I'm willing to wait it out. I also have less fears as things have gone on about Embiid's long-term health. Like, it seems like the more he plays, the stronger he gets, and I kind of want to knock on wood here. Um, <laughs> but it seems like, you know, he's with no more load management. He's just, like, turning into an absolute freak right now. And, yeah. you know, when he hits the deck, I'm not, like, gasping anymore. I feel like I would do that every time. <laughs> he just seems stronger overall. And, you know, I just – I think he's going to – have enough of a prime going forward that it's not a, you don't have to rush it right now. Yeah, no, I, Mike, I think once again, for the eighth time, you've nailed it in the head. I, <laughs> I, I feel that like, I don't know, in the last week and a half to two weeks, this, this Daryl Morey fairy tale is, is becoming more likely if yeah. it wasn't possible where you had like, I don't know, multiple franchises crumbling at the same time like i don't know like i always thought it was a fool's like i don't know a, like a fool would think this but i'm the fool because now i mean when 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 the wizards blow an 85 point lead like i don't know like dame like dame like i don't know like the the blazers couldn't be any more irrelevant and now and now dame's hurt and now you have harden like i don't know not wanting to like play with a guy who doesn't who plays like half the games like, no, I, I, and it just feels like, I don't know, it's almost fake that, like, because it's always been James Harden. Like, it, it's always, yeah. like, I, I feel like that is his love of his life. Like, I exactly. Like, where, like, he needs James Harden around at all times. And he's hell bent, like, at, at the risk of looking like a complete buffoon. Like, I don't know. He's willing to, like, I don't, and I've, I've been wanting to trade this guy since Fourth of July, <laughs> but I mean, like, I'll suffer for another six months of just nonsensical talk. Doesn't no? Because I, I mean, if if we've gotten this long, and like, I don't know, people, well, I I just can't watch an average team. But like, it's just if if we've gotten this long, and you're and you're closer to what you closer to the miracle than you thought, then why not ride it out? I and yeah. I've always been a a guide. I don't know if you can, you can like I don't know like bank on a guy with a finite number of minutes in his knees. But like you said, Mike, like I don't see like like you guys watch the games. Like it doesn't seem like he slows down, like or he like falters like he did. Like I don't know where you can tell at the end of games he was noticeably just like I don't know he was dripping dripping sweat. Yeah, and I think he's also learned himself that. I should take it easier early right? and then turn it up late. And he kind of admitted that after one of the recent games, kind of like <clears throat> I, I used to run out of steam a little bit. Like, I, you know, you can't play at that level for all 35 minutes or whatever it is he's on the court. Um, so I think he's learned to kind of load manage himself a little bit in a way while he's on the court, uh, exactly. which is obviously very <laughs> helpful. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the carrot's been dangling there forever, the star player. You know, you were mm -hmm. that close to Harden a year ago. Um, and then you figure in the summer we're going to get Dame, we're going to get Beal. You know, these guys are going to want out. And now to kind of just waste it away when you're this close seems like a bad idea. Like, I would rather just wait it out. Um, but I also think that the good part is with all this smoke coming out about Harden, um, Hey, you hope you, that means there's fire, but it also, right. if there is a team out there who has made offers um, or is interested in Simmons and there's all these reports that the Sixers are willing to wait, 
they might, you know, get a little more desperate and up their Absolutely. offer and, yeah. and meet the asking price that Maury has of, you know, <clears throat> young players and a million draft picks that, you know, keeps him in the mix for any future star that becomes available in the summer. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's he's played it very well. Most important, the most important thing that's happened for them, aside from the other teams with the star players faltering, is that they've continued to win without Simmons, right. which yeah. really would have forced his hand if they yeah. were struggling. And you got you know thirty two million not with the team. You got to do something. So, you know, it, it's played out very well for him. I know people are extremely impatient, um, <laughs> but I think if you can hold out for a couple more months, I think it, I think it'll work out well. And again, part of that, of course, that record, of course, you know, is, is you know, due to Doc Rivers, who again, people or this town hate for whatever reason. You mean Doc Popovich? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that I might not ask, you know, Greg Popovich um, about Doc Rivers. Um, I'll look, a lot of people want to send him out of town when Ben Simmons goes out of town. But again, like nothing for nothing, like you said, like you know, without Danny Green for a stretch, without Seth Curry for a little bit, without Matisse Liable, without a bunch of guys, you know, without Ben Simmons. I mean, this team has played pretty well, all yeah. things considering. Um, so where do you stand on Doc Rivers? I, I don't think he's like an elite coach, which I think maybe we thought we were getting like, oh, this guy won a title. He's, you know, always coaching winners. Um, when you look back at it, I mean, that's that 08 Celtics team was like the first super team that existed in this era. Um, it'd be ridiculous if he hadn't won a title. You know, it's it's great that he was able to manage those personalities and bring them together. Um especially with like a young Rondo who I think those guys tried to fight like every other day at practice. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think doc is the difference between them winning and losing many games. Uh, I did have some major issues last year in the playoffs though. I know Ben miss or passing up the dunk is what everyone focused on after game seven. But to me, Maxie absolutely rescued yeah. them in game six. Yeah. And he didn't see the floor in the fourth quarter as the lead was withering away, as their season was, you know, fading away until there were 23 seconds left and they were down by like six points. Right. He didn't put the guy in the game. He just like didn't trust him. So I think he's a little too stubborn in, you know, kind of the things he believes in. He'd rather go down doing it his way than, you know, adjusting on the fly to something that, that could work better. And, you know, kind of just circling back real quick, there was at the time, the first name that came out when they were looking to hire a coach was Ty Lu, mm-hmm. and everyone said no. Like the entire fan base said no, and I just couldn't fathom why. Like he had coached for, I think three and change seasons in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You know, won a title, came back title. from three. One. I mean, and I get it. It's LeBron. He has LeBron, but you know, managing egos is part of the job. And yeah. I think what you're seeing in LA now is he's you know, he's done a fantastic job with an extremely shorthanded Clippers team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think if you asked anybody right now, if they'd swap, I think they'd do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think, uh, no, I think you're right. No, I think, no, I think like, I don't know, on the list of 4,000 things Philly fans hate the most, any Sixers coach, the Eagles defensive coordinator. They yeah. will never be yeah. happy about either. And no, I, I think, like you, like, like you said, Mike, I don't, like, coaches don't win you championships. Will they win you a game in November or January? Yeah. But, I, I mean, they're not winning you a playoff series. They might not even win you a playoff game. So, I, I mean, like, the guy is playing, I, I don't know, Andre Drummond. Like, yeah. and this is where I have the problem with Carol Morey is they just, like, before they even thought about punting on the season, they did when they signed two free agents last year. I, I feel like they really just said, you know what? Like, no, like – all the Teelys were there that they didn't care about. They were willing to wait out an entire season when you signed George Niang and Andre Drummond. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know that, again, I, I feel like Maury tries to do everything he can to get the big pieces in place and then take her around the edges. But there's no reason you can't do both. Like, there's yeah. no reason you can't improve the, around the edge of the roster. And the one thing that's frustrated me all year is, especially with COVID, wiping guys out for weeks at a time, they have two ball handlers on the roster, neither of whom in Shake or Maxi are real like point true guards. point guards. Yes. <laughs> and they, they like they brought Grant Riller in and then he got hurt immediately. And then they kind of kept him around, then he got hurt and they cut him. And they just don't have a third ball handler. It's like mind-numbing that they haven't just even if it's like a G League guy who just plays yeah. the position, like just to give you some functional offense for like short stretches in January when you're playing the magic, you know, so you don't blow, you know, your starters build up a 12 point lead and you don't give it all back. 
who can get you into some good sets and yeah. get you some good looks. Like it just seems so obvious. And it's like, I feel like everything is based off upside with Morgan. It's a little weird that he won't, you know, just adjust a little in certain spots, especially like that. Something that seems so glaringly obvious to everyone watching the team. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, you, you get a guy, like you said, like a, like a Grant Riller type or, you know, like a Tyler Johnson come in, you know, just to kind of get you just, just some functional basic off. Give me like a 2022 version of a Kendall Marshall. Who can just yeah. get me in the get me in the sets for like ten minutes when like Tyrese Max is on the bench, so I can actually like you know get something out of Furkan Korkmaz every now and then, or get something out of Danny Green every now and then, and the fact that you signed a Charlie Brown, you know, in the middle of the season, he's probably like your second or third most athletic guy. It's yeah. like wait a minute, like we got to figure something out. Like you're right, like you can do both of these things at the same time. I just don't know. I mean, maybe he's just so consumed about the whole the idea of you know, the James Harden thing that he doesn't think of these things, but the three of us saw the roster construction. Before yeah. the year. I'm not sure what, what he's not looking at. It's funny. In the, the interview he did uh, with Mike Messinelli recently, he kind of said like, we have, he's like the whole front office is consumed by the Ben trade. It's all we think about. It's our only job. And I don't know <laughs> if he was being facetious at all or serious yeah. Yeah. because it seems like that's how it goes. Like that's all they're worried <laughs> about at the moment. They haven't really done anything else, but I'll be interested to see if they do decide not to trade Ben if they do tinker around the edges. Last year, obviously, the George Hill move did not work. Right. They tried to get Lowry. I take George um, Hill right now. Yeah, me too. Exactly. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Absolutely right. Uh, well, we can talk about this all day, but we're not going to hold you up anymore. Uh, Mike Mohern, again, producer, NBC Sports Philadelphia. Follow him on Twitter at Mikey Malls. It's Mikey M U L S. Mike, man, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you, Roy. Thank you, Chris. Much appreciated. Anytime. And that was our interview with Mike Mohern, producer from NBC Sports Philadelphia. Good stuff from Mike, man. Again, please. I know you guys probably watch post-game, Eagles post-game and pre-game and all sorts of good stuff. Who doesn't? Yeah, I, again. Feel like <laughs> is, I feel like that has become for, I guess, any type of fan, whether it's yeah. your just your regular just birds fan. Like, I don't know. They really don't follow much of the NFL. I don't, I don't know who that is, but I mean, like if they're just strictly, <laughs> if they're just strictly a birds fan, you go over to birds like post game. And then absolutely you just want to just hear Seth Joyner, just like, I don't know, <laughs> like have smoke coming out of his, out of his eyeballs after yeah. a loss. Then you go to post game live. Absolutely right. No, those guys have been doing it, you know, for for years. They've been doing it again, amazingly for years. Again, they're Emmy winners. They all, you know, they all do some things. Mike's the guy behind the scenes who kind of makes all the things go. So, again, Mike Maharm, producer, NBC Sports Philadelphia. Thank you. Thank him for joining us. Check out his work over at NBC Sports Philly. Um, again, we we talked about. Um, we'll talk about the Ben Simmons stuff later, but I do want to kind of talk about these NFC, uh, these NFL, I should say, conference championship games that we saw last week. Again, we'll talk more Super Bowl next week because, again, there's two weeks. We got time. We're not going to kind of get into it this week. But I do want to talk about a couple games that happened last weekend because they were pretty good games, three-point games in both instances. The first game, the Bengals came back from the 21-3 deficit to beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead 27-24. KC, plenty of chances to put this away. It didn't happen. I know I, I did this. So, again, I'm not going to say we. I officially anointed Josh Allen as the young bull quarterback of the Broad Street Line program. I, I don't know if you want to <laughs> usurp that and make Joe Burrow the guy, but Joe Burrow leading the Bengals to a Super Bowl in his second year is pretty is pretty special. I will I will make them co-quarterbacks of the Broad Street Line. I'll be diplomatic. Okay. But I will say that. I love seasons where, like, where, like, th- like things are permanently changed after this season. Mm-hmm. I think we could say that Josh Allen. I don't think he was undoubtedly in in tier one. He's undoubtedly in tier one. He has leaped. Well, I, I mean, considering the fact the the guy that's been in tier one for twenty years ain't no longer in any tier. Correct. Um, and mm-hmm. I think Joe Burrow has earned a tier one. Undoubt, like, like, un- ooh. Without a doubt, too. Like, I mean, doesn't that is isn't that what a Super Bowl getting a Super Bowl because of you? This isn't like I don't know Garoppolo, like I don't know leading the Niners to Super Bowl, but this is. I think he is for me entrenched in Tier One. Wow, wow. I'm all right. I'm not going to go there. I will. I will say yes. We have official co young bowl quarterbacks of this program: Josh Allen and, and Joey Burrow. I can't put him in tier one yet. I can't. No, I can't. But, but is he is, is, <clears throat> is he 
the first guy in tier two for you? He's he's probably the first guy in tier two for me. And you know, talk to me, you know, on Valentine's Day. Talk to me <laughs> after the Super Bowl. If they win the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl because of this dude, I will probably change my mind and put him in tier one. I I, I can't, but you you make a good point. Like they're they are there because of Joe Burrow. Period. Point blank. Like that's why the Bengals. Are where they are. It's Joe. It's Joe Burrow. Period. I mean, like the defense or whatever. The, the skill position. Somebody has to get the skill position players the ball, and it's Joe Burrow. I mean, they came back from twenty-one to three on the road at KC. So Joe Burrow, he's the guy. He's the young bull quarterback. You got a guy in the Rams again, who a lot of people, you know, just thought that he's needed a change of scenery, and he did it himself. Well, he did it as well. Matt Stafford made some big plays. Cooper Cup did Cooper Cup things. Rams came back from a seventeen to seven deficit to win twenty to seventeen. Over the Niners, um, a game that was capped off by a very winting interception uh, by by Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, usually, I don't know. I don't say usually. Well, I'll say usually. Usually, you would think that the best two teams are in the Super Bowl this year. I don't know if they're the best two teams in the NFL, but these two teams are playing the best right now. Wouldn't you agree? I think these are. You can't. You there isn't a fluke involved in this. Like I don't mm-hmm. know. There isn't like a. A music city miracle or right. or that or that goofy play in that minnesota uh saints game like mm-hmm. i don't know like i don't and like i don't know these these two teams are in there based on because i think i think the football world has underestimated the Bengals defense i think the Bengals defense is i think it's it's good and complimentary like i like because like and one it shows that you need if you don't have a good defense, you need a a be above average pass rush, and Correct. I think both of these teams have it. So, and I think with and I think with the Rams, I mean this is I'm kind of glad they got in because this shows you that there isn't one way to build a Super Bowl team. Right. I mean, like they don't have they they treat draft picks like Ben Simmons treats free throws. They don't <laughs> they they don't want to take them. So, but I, I mean. But even at the beginning of the season, they thought they were in it. They they doubled down. They trade mm-hmm. for Von Miller. They sign Odell. So no, I I mean like this like, and for two straight years after it didn't happen for like what fifty four, we have a team playing in their crib for the Super Bowl, which I think is cool. Yeah, two years in a row again, a, a team is playing in their home stadium for the Super Bowl. We got Bengals. We got Rams. Last year it was Tampa Bay playing in their home Super Bowl and their former quarterback, Tom Brady, chose to hang it up this week officially after 22 Both years. respect on Adarn Schefter and Jackson <laughs> Day because people wanted to, like, just, like, bury them, like, take a decade in that casket match. They're like, yo, man, Adam Schefter, whack. I'm like, Adam Schefter just, like, I don't know, did the Santa cell dance, but he can't because he because he tore ACL for doing that gritty. Like, exactly. He probably tore other ACL if he did that dance. Yeah, I, I really, part of me really wanted a Tom Brady just to, just to not retire, just to stick it to everybody. But Tom Brady hanging up, hangs it up after 22 years. Not much to say about Tom Brady other than the fact that he is the GOAT. Obviously, six years from now, five years from now, whatever the, the waiting period is for the Hall of Fame, he's going to go in and completely overshadow Ben Roethlisberger's uh, Hall of Fame <laughs> induction. Which is always a plus. And from what I, I saw, man, like, I know the dude's great. And, like, I don't know, like, people respect and, like, just looking at all the dudes and, like, and, like, I was looking on, like, Brady's, like, Instagram story feed. Like, he took a lot of these, like, guys that congratulated him. Like, dudes, like, like I think Kenbrell Tompkins. He's like, yo, man, <laughs> I appreciate you. I was like, oh, man. You, you got time from, like, not eating avocados and hanging out with yourself and, like, <laughs> thank, thank, like, I don't know, like, Kenbrell Tompkins for, like, his contribution to, like, the 2018 Patriots. Yeah, no. Well, well, he's got a lot of time now, so so he's got. A, I think I saw I saw it was some crazy number, of like all the guys he threw touchdowns to, and then all that stuff. It's like maybe he's gonna kind of like you know shout all those guys out as well, or give them like mini Hall of Fame trophies. But he's got a lot of time now. Like, well, the, one, the dude has had three different NFL Hall of Fame careers. This is yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. You can just take take every decade, his twenties, thirties, and forties, <laughs> and split them up, and they're all Hall of Fame careers themselves. So, congrats to Tom Brady. Uh, one last NFL story before we move on. A huge bombshell dropped earlier this week uh, when former Miami Dolphins coach Brian Flores filed a class action lawsuit against the league and its teams this week, um, basically accusing them of you know Fugazi sham interviews, um, saying that he was incentivized uh, to lose games 
um, as a head coach for the Dolphins, and he was pressured to uh, improperly recruit players. Um, this is a huge, huge story. Uh, we don't have a, we don't have enough time clearly to talk about it on this week's show, um, but this is a massive story. Uh, Brian Flores has already started making the, the rounds of, of the uh, either the talk shows to kind of discuss this. Um, and yeah, this is going to be this is one of the things where I think Roger Goodell didn't want to have to deal with during during Super Bowl week. No, like I don't know. And, and this is a story that isn't keeping players quiet, right. not keeping media quiet. But I think, like I don't know, this is this is like a very this is like a look in the mirror type thing for kind of ever, like yeah. The problem is like I don't know. The crux of this problem is you can't or it's hard to tell middle old white people old rich white people what to do with their business it's right. like i don't know like this is that's where it comes down to like i don't know like the these folks who own teams are rich powerful and don't want to be told anything so mm-hmm. unless unless you put it in writing what they need to do or people stop watching which won't like if we're going to be completely honest is it happening like right. i don't know you, you you're still going to get 105 to watch the super bowl with trey and kendrick so I think it, it, it really is, like, I don't know, like, we just need to just come to grips that, like, we just, the NFL is a necessary evil in our lives. End the story. Well, we do, but we do need to talk about ways that, again, we can, because, again, there's been, a, I think, according to the lawsuit, 129 head coach openings, you know, since the start of the Rudy rule, and I think only 15 of those openings were, were filled by, by, you know, men of color. We need to kind of figure out, I won't say figure out, but we need to kind of talk about ways where we can kind of increase the, the number of, you know, black coaches in the pipeline so that these guys get interviews. Cause you're right. Cause all no, white guys. We need, no, no, we need, like, I don't know. Like at this point I've given up on these owners trying to like do it the right way. Like, I don't know. Put it in writing to say, I, at this point, I don't care. How you like, I don't know. Like if you Dell, you're making $50 million. You can say, yo, hire that dude. Like, no, no, like we're, mm-hmm. and, and if you don't want to abide by the rules, sell the team. Like, no, like yeah. we, like asking these guys to do the right thing under their own conscience is just, you're, it, it's, it's not, it's a flawed, it's a flawed state. Don't even uh, no, like, no. Yeah. And like, I think someone said, I think it might've been Nick, right? It's like, you could do coin flips. Like, I don't know, like, and, and, and have more, but like, this is preposterous. So like like I'm at the point now where if if this shames the NFL into doing something like I, I feel like this is almost like getting vaccinated. It's like I don't care how you get it. I I don't I don't care how you get to that point. Do it. Like I don't know. Like if, if you need to be a sh- like shamed to hire a, a black coach, then fine. Like like is it the best way? No. But in but this is an imperfect world, and I'll deal with the in, imperfections of this as long as the result. Is and like this is what I don't think people get. It's like you think uh, out of the thirty-one jobs, it, it, like and and I'm not even looking to like denigrate like the coaches that got those jobs because like I don't know the yeah, yeah, no, no. them, but like uh, but you're telling me that every time that like the the qualified white guy got it over the qualified black guy, like come on, like I don't know, like that, <laughs> that's just like I don't know, that's that's just statistically impossible unless you're like purposely trying to do it and i think exactly. that's where like and, and and that's where like i don't know like people keep saying oh like i don't know like you need to like like i don't know get these coaches in the pipeline it don't matter like i don't know these people can like i don't know domingo rides could hang out with Stephen ross every day for the rest of his damn life and he's still getting that job unless he's getting paid to <laughs> shirt. no like i like yeah, no, no, I, yeah. I just, no i just think we just need to stop trusting these these oh these these rich white owners because that's what it comes down to it's like if this were a different generation and you had 35 year olds like i don't know say the guy's running fanatics like michael mm-hmm. rubin like i don't know say he was an nfl owner i i feel a little more comfortable if there were right. more rubens but yeah. they ain't michael rubens they're yeah. like right michael rubens daddy yeah no you're, you're you're exactly right and and yeah you and we'll talk again we'll talk more about this next week but you talked about being shamed Speaking of being shamed, we have like 30 seconds, but Ben Simmons was shamed on TNT's Inside the NBA by uh, Shaquille O'Neal to the point where Ben Simmons reached out to Shaquille O'Neal through the DMs and said that he was unhappy with his recent comments. You have 20 seconds. Give me your clean reaction to the Shaq-Ben Simmons beef. I, I said a DM to Shaquille O'Neal saying thank you. <laughs> That's it. Shaq said no, the things that we wanted no, to say. No, like, no, like I don't know. Like, and – one, I, I think now it's it's just become like 
every there is no one on Ben Simmons' side except for Clinton Yates, and who really just like I don't know, just just said something just to like I don't know, like provoke Philly fans. But like I don't know, like no one that has seen this saga from A to B, and A wasn't June; it was like 2016. No, it's like I don't know. There, there's no, there's no defense for uh, Bum Simmons. <laughs> All right, that, that's it for our Ben Simmons commentary. We'll have more next week again. When we're on with you next week, we'll be recording yes. immediately after the trade deadline. So oh, we'll have trade deadline stuff to talk about. We'll have Super Bowl stuff to talk about. We'll have a lot of stuff to get to next week on the Broad Street Line, 106.5 FM, WPPM, LP, Philadelphia. But until then, we are out of here. Mr. Domingo, take us out, please. Have a great weekend, everyone. See you guys. American Corn Farmers. A proud and chosen profession inspired through generations. Tested, resilient, and committed to giving back as much as they're growing. Pushing the boundaries of what's possible with every bushel, while replenishing every increasingly precious resource, like the reduction of soil loss by 40% with every acre grown. In a world where sustainability matters more than ever, we need all the help we can get. And there's no greater resource than the capable hands of American corn farmers.